Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to another week and another edition of Swinging from the Hip, episode 23, right here for your cricketing fix for the week. And today on the show, we'll be doing a quick repack, recap, recap, a recap of the results from the IPL. And hopefully by then, after that, um, our guests have arrived. So I'm smiling, flying solo at the moment. Um, and it's been a long day, so um, if I fade a bit, you'll understand. But as I said, hopefully our guests would have arrived by the time I've done the IPL wrap, and we'll be able to have a look at the impact that COVID is making on community cricket in New Zealand. If we don't, well, I'll have to waffle on like a couple of weeks ago, and and we'll have to reschedule for the COVID chat. Anywho, but as usual, we'll take the, the trip down memory lane first um, before we look at the news that was from this week. So here we go into the week in history, September 19th in 2007, and what a cracker to start with, Yuvi. Yuvraj Singh becomes only the second batsman after Herschel Gibbs to hit six sixes in and over in an international cricket game. Oh, we've got someone popping in. This time it was against England in the T20 World Cup. And it's at Kingsmead in Durban. And the unlucky bowler was Stuart Broad. And bonus time, it was also the fastest century in all forms of international cricket. He got to 50 in just 12 balls. So while I just take a little break there and we'll continue in a second, it's because we're going to bring in Taryn, who's uh, arrived. So that's great. Taryn, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm relieved. <laughs> oh, <what is> that? <laughs> so anyhow, I'll carry on with this week in cricket and we move on to 1986 and another awesome one. This is making up for last week because it was a bit boring. Dean Jones scored Australia's first double century in India. Now, during the innings, he had nausea on the pitch, and I think that means that he chucked up and uh, was put on a drip after the innings. Now, in the second dig, he didn't get a lot. He got 24, but it helped to get to the result of only the second ever tied test in history. We'll come to that a bit more a little bit later. Now, moving on to the 20th of September in 1982, and wow, they just keep coming. The first hat-trick in one-day international matches in Hyderabad by Jalal Uddin 
removed Rod Marsh, Bruce Yardley and Jeff Lawson with the last three balls of his seventh over in that match. Moving on to the 21st of September, 1963 in Sweets Village in Antigua. One of the great fast bowlers was born, Kirtley Ambrose. And I'll never forget his slower delivery that bowled out Ian Healy in the Benson and Hedges World Series. Ian Healy swung last week and the ball arrived two weeks after that. This is a fantastic glory, isn't it? And then watching Curly Ambrose just falling over laughing was just was fantastic. Now, moving on to the 22nd of December, and I mentioned, uh, September, not December, getting to Christmas already, September. I mentioned earlier Dean Jones in this match. In 1986, the last day of the second tied test in history, Alan Border had set India 348 to win from a minimum of 87 overs. And it looked good for India at the time. They're 190 for two. And even better, they were 230 for six and with 18 needed of five overs left. And then it all changed a little bit. In the final over the match, Ravi Shastri took two and then a single of the first three balls of the, uh, um, of the over. And the scores were tied. And then Greg Matthews trapped Maninder Singh, the final wicket with the penultimate delivery of the match. So it went, not only was it a tied match, but it actually went down to the wire of the last over of the match. And in 2005, on the same day, last test before Zimbabwe voluntarily withdrew from the format. And in that match, they broke their run of innings defeats. They lost by 10 wickets instead. So moving on to the 23rd of September, 1979, now, after a tough day in the field against India in Bangalore, Rodney Hogg, after being no-balled 11 times in just six overs, finally had enough, and he bowled a beamer at the batsman. And then he kicked all the stumps out of the ground, and he stormed off the field. <laughs> now, only some quick action by Kim Hughes, with apologies to the umpires, and some contrition from Rodney Hogg himself, avoided further action being taken after the game. But what I mean, yeah, I wouldn't mind going back into YouTube and trying to find some footage of that. That would have been uh, rather interesting. And uh, moving to the 24th of September, in 19, 1844, 1844, the oldest international rivalry, well, in cricket anyway, began. And no, it wasn't between England and Australia. This was 33 years before the first match between England and Australia was played. It was between USA and Canada in Bloomingdale Park. It was a two-day game, which lasted three days because the second day was washed out. And the match ended controversially after the USA batsman George Wheatcroft was not allowed to bat because he turned up 20 minutes following the fall of the previous wicket. So effectively, I suppose that was timed out batsman. <laughs> 20 minutes is a fair while to wait, though, isn't it? <laughs> And finally, in 2007, in the first T20 World Cup, which was held in South Africa, India scored 158 batting first and then managed to hold out Pakistan to host the trophy, uh, the hoist the trophy, India's first international trophy since the 1983 ODI World Cup. And that was today in history. Anything that sort of... Uh, Sort of tickled your fancy there in the history logs there, uh, Taryn. Uh the final, the T, the T twenty final. T twenty final, yeah, that was it was classic because that's actually the same match. If we go back, to, I think my very first one that was where Uraj hit the six sixes as well. 
Is that the same one, is it? No, not the same game, obviously, but the same tournament. Same tournament, 2007. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that really well. We um, obviously didn't have... I didn't have Sky at our house. And um, I don't even know if it was on Sky, but um, yeah, we all... Few of my um, family friends all congregated at one house. And I remember that last ball of the final looking the other way, not wanting to look <laughs> to see. And then you see the ball go in the air and then, then you turn around and you see, I think it was Shri Sam at, yep. at 45 running backwards. Yeah, so yeah, I remember that really well. And then I remember the fixes as well from Yuvrat Singh, actually. I was down seven, so... I must, yeah, I was flying back from somewhere because I know I was at the airport when the sixes were being hit. All oh, right. One of the, yeah, chicken area in India. Coming oh, back from yeah. India. Yeah. What, what, what? Cricket on TV in India and in the airport? No, well, it's not, I don't know about now, but it's actually not that, re- it never was that readily accessible. You needed to have cable oh, okay. TV. Well, you need yep, to have cable yep. TV. It's not a free to air. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so it, was, it was still a bit of an, um, but was a bit strange back then to see it on TV behind the counter. Oh, not so much. Yeah, not not so much in 07, but definitely yep. when my family was actually residing there in the late 80s and early 90s, that was good. Yeah. But yeah, we still didn't have any. I was, yeah, it was just lucky that they played it at the airport. <laughs> so we'll move on to the um we'll, we'll we'll move past the history and we'll move on to what's happened this week in the cricket world and the IPL kick, kicked off and I'll go through the results uh to date uh shortly and we will also look at the table although it's very early doors and um there's obviously um some not a lot of games being played in the first week well first week's worth of games um and India are in talks with England to boost cricketing ties between the two countries with the possibility of test series in the UOE on the table. So what they're looking at there is um, they're talking about the scheduling of the IPL next year, which obviously this year's IPL is quite late because it would have been earlier in the year. So next year's IPL will be earlier in the year. It's normal scheduled time in the UAE, I believe. Um, And what they're talking about is having some test matches um, following that with um, England. Uh, in in the UAE. So, and moving on, DRS will be used for the first time in a women's T20 series. Uh, that will be the England and West Indies women's series, which has uh, had two matches played in already. It'll be the first time outside of a T20 World Cup where the DRS is used in the women's game. Uh, the Wellington City Council has jumped the gun on that announcement of the Black Cap schedule of this summer. Well, in Wellington anyway, as they announced through some road closure notices that the games that will be played and when in Wellington. We're still waiting on government um, approval of um, the teams coming here or sanctioning, I suppose you might say, of the teams coming to New Zealand. The Indian women's cricket team is struggling with anxiety as they keep training but don't have any idea of when they'll actually play next. The BCCI postponed their series with England, which was scheduled for July and August uh, in England. Um, And their series with the West Indies and South Africa as also appears to be doomed. Their last game was the T20 World Cup final, uh, and that was their loss to Australia in that game, in the final there. So I could imagine that, you know, if you've had that, you know, you, you get such a high with the T20 World Cup, you want to basically get back out there, don't you? You, you, you would have been waiting. You'd be training and training and training, and you just don't get out onto the field. It would be mentally quite hard. 
Yeah, yeah, it's tough, I suppose, for every, yeah the uncertainty that goes with it. But they're not the only ones. That, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just what it is. Tricky, yeah, tricky, tricky situation. Unfortunate. Um, how it's all folded. Unfold, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and speaking of the West Indies, they've had their first matches on the tour of England this week. And the second match was just this morning. In the first T20, England scored 163 for eight and restricted the West Indies women to 116 for six in their in reply. England winning the match by 47 runs. And in the second match today, which was played this morning, England made it through to 151 for eight and this time restricted the West Indies to just 104 for eight. So England have wrapped up the T20 series with one match still to play. And look... Um, my mind's gone blank on one, but um, Dotton is one of their top players, and um, I've forgotten the other. Stephanie, oh, jeez, yeah, Stephanie Taylor, that's the one. Once they're gone, there doesn't seem to be a lot that come, follows with the West Indies batting lineup, and uh, it's, it really has to be done up front by those two, doesn't it? Yeah, I um, look. It wasn't long ago that they were quite strong. Uh, I mm. think it was. 2016, when the under-19s and the men's and the women's all won the T20 World Cups, etc. So it wasn't long ago that they were that strong and they had, I think, a lady called Aguilera. She was a keeper captain and she mm. was pretty good. Uh, yeah, so to cut a long story short, I don't think they've regressed, but it just shows England and Australia have just moved up the picking order. They've, they're either professional or semi-professional. There's money in it. There's yep. investment, and it's now showing in results. Yeah, good point. Because I mean, like, it, it, that's the thing. If you can focus on your sport because you're getting paid to do it, and you can train, improve your game, it's going to have results, isn't it? At the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's just showing. I think that's the. Yeah, I don't know if they regress, maybe ever so slightly, but yeah, the other teams are just much, much stronger now. Like South Africa has come from behind and really starting to make some serious noise as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, if you go back to that T20 World Cup in Australia, I mean, you, you saw signs of it there where, you know, teams were getting stronger and getting some good competitive matches happening. I mean, obviously, you've got the other teams that are still developing. I mean, you know, you look at the likes of Bangladesh, but, you know, them aside, you've still got, like, your West Indies, your South Africa's, and then your New Zealand's as well, India. Australia, England, and they really are starting to, their skill levels are really getting good, the, and the quality of the games is improving. Even even India, I wouldn't say they're a top top four. They probably would be a top four. I wouldn't say the top two nations. I think England, Australia. Yeah, and yep. India as well. I think they are pretty light. They don't have the depth you would yep. expect from an Indian team. They've got what they've got at the top end, and I think it does fall away pretty quickly. I I'm not sure how many leagues they have domestically and how they pick their cricketers, etc. So it's, it'll be interesting. Is there any talk of you know IPL expanding into a women's um, format as well? They were they you know they started with a couple of um, exhibition games, then they opened it up to three three teams last year, and they were going to try and run that. And I think there has been talk or a noise about making it a um, equivalent event or not necessarily equivalent but some form of a women's ipl in time to come and they were building towards it but yep yeah everything's on pause now 
Everything's yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Moving on to with the news, a couple of more items left. The Black Caps batting coaching position appears to be a two-horse race. Luke Ronke has confirmed that he's put his hand up for the role, and it can't be a hundred percent confirmed, but appears Heinrich Milan, the Auckland Aces coach, has put his hand up as well, although he has neither confirmed nor denied the claim. So one of them will be replacing Peter Fulton, who left the role earlier this year. Uh, plans for crowds at the matches in England seem dashed after a spike in COVID cases in the UK. It looks certain that the government will cancel plans to allow crowds into venues from the 1st of October. And just as we go into the results of the IPR so far, we had drama and controversy in just the second match of the tournament. Firstly, the drama as the match went into super over. And the controversy was after the umpire called the Kings Eleven for running one short. Replays appear to suggest that, in fact, the bat was grounded over the line and the run should have stood. With only with, Without the one short call, the game would have most likely not gone to a super over, with the, which the Kings 11 lost to in, the, in that super over to the Delhi Capitals. But we'll have a bit more detail there shortly. And so that's it. And uh, we'll look, keep looking at the IPL. And uh, first, there's the results for this week. Taryn, did you get a chance to see any IPL action? Yeah, I um, I did actually. I actually watched that um, uh, game in question that you're talking about, the Super Over game. Yep. Um, and his bet was definitely over the line. <laughs> yep. And your and if, it kind of made me question the whole thing, really. When um, it it was almost scripted. It was scripted to the point you start suspecting things because of the historical stuff around the game. Because hey, be careful, you'll get Aaron started about it. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. you got to give him something to talk about. He's only put in one, two messages so far. Yeah, one offensive comment so far only. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, so it's gone over. Yeah, it's tight. It's obviously tight. Mm. But they call it um, short. And then the commentators go, oh, God forbid this game goes to a super over. And straight away, it was like a light bulb for me. Like, oh, wait, I bet this is going to a super over. Yep. And then you start watching it and the game kind of yo-yos back and forth. Not necessarily yo-yo, but it goes has its moments. And then it's down to one run or five balls. Yep. Or four balls. Right. Something and, gettable. Oh, no, look. This is what literally was one off something. And then you hear the commentator, I think it was Galaska or someone, go, oh, is he going to go for glory or is he going to do the smart thing? So he goes for glory. He's out. Out comes Jordan. Then, okay, so just a FYI here, I am watching it on my mobile at 5.30 in the morning Why when I should be getting ready for work on a <laughs> streaming app, which I don't pay for. So it was buffering the fair bit. Um, but um, then there's a dot ball, and it's one to win off two, one to win off one. And the dude holds out to deep square leg. I'm not questioning wow. anything, but it was just an absolute botch up of a yep. chase in that last over. Yeah. It's, I'll bring, I'll bring Hussein strange. in, and he can join our conversation on this one. It's just like, uh, evening, Hussein. Welcome in. How are you, guys? Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. We're just we're just going over the controversial uh, moments in the um, Kings Eleven Delhi Capitals game at the moment. So uh, 
Yeah, Darren's just uh, get, go, going through some of the events as they happened, actually. So we'll we'll let we'll carry on with Darren going through. So yeah, it's it's. But, it's, yeah, it's so I, I never got to watch the Super Over because um, the weblink that I watched was buffering, and I had to get on with my shower and try and get the ready. <laughs> and get ready because you got to go to work, got to pay the bills. Yeah, but um, yeah, like, it, it just yeah, it was a very convenient chase, and I was starting to think, I was like, oh, look, these kind of things do happen, you know. Mm. These things happen, and I'm like, wow, man, you start looking back on the games you played, and like, oh, how would you have reacted if this had happened? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but um, I actually, um, I've joined a fantasy league with some of the kids at my school. Yep. Yeah, which is. Obviously, there's a lot of bragging rights involved with the school kids, so that's kind of made me take it a bit more seriously. So each night before I go to bed, I'll read a bit of a preview, make my transfers in the morning, watch a little bit of it, and then check where my points are and then make sure that I'm not at the – and I am at the bottom <laughs> of the table at the moment. So You did watch the show really last cool week. You did watch the show last week because you got some good insights into where the strengths of each team were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was about three lines deep as well. <laughs> so we'll go through the game. So the first um, in the tournament opener, Mumbai Indians went down to the Chennai Super Kings. The Indians scored 163 for five, with the Super Kings reaching that target in the last over with four balls to spare, ending up on 166 for five. We've just been through the controversies and the drama in the Delhi Capitals Kings 11 Punjab game. The, the Capitals batted first and scored 157 for eight. And the Kings 11 batting second scored exactly the same amount. That's why we went to a super over. And onto the super over, the Kings 11 batted first and they made an absolute hash of that super over. They lost two wickets in there and ended up scoring three runs. And leading the Capitals to win three, they actually ended up bowling a wide. Um, in the over to the uh, Capitals as well. So effectively, the uh, Capitals had two got got the runs off two balls. What are the, the odds off a wide being bowled in a three run chase? <laughs> a three run chase. <laughs> <laughs> You're nodding your head. <laughs> yeah. and there's, a, there's some serious investment that goes into these uh, getting these tournaments. So yeah, you've got to you got to bring the entertainment, Absolutely. right? Good yeah. <laughs> Next up with the Royal Challengers, Bangalore playing the Sunrisers, Hyderabad. Bangalore putting together a very good total, and the Sunrisers looking on target to get there before they fell away badly in the end, uh, handing the Royal Challengers a win by 10 runs. And um, I've stuffed up there because I didn't even put the scores in when I was writing that out. But look, to the, the Sunrisers were actually on target to score to, to sort of eclipse the total there, and then they're basically their batting um, just absolutely fell away. Um, and they were, as I said, falling 10 runs short for something that they should have probably made um, been a successful run chase. Moving on to the fourth match would have been uh, would have to be the match of the tournament so far if you base it on the runs in the scoreboard. But the scorecard doesn't really tell the tale of the match. Rajasthan Royals batted first and amassed a whopping 216 for seven. A total was going to be hard to overhaul. And so it was for the Chennai Super Kings. They scored 200 for six, which might suggest that they had a chance. But um, what that doesn't show is that they score looked better than it was with three sixes coming in that final over. And you have to question what um, MS Dhoni was up to because he was, you know, with such a big score to chase, he really wasn't going at the rate that he needed to in the early stages of the match, was he? I mean, I know he's a great at closing out matches, but really he was just putting so much pressure on the team. Moving on to the fifth match played, 
so far. And that's the final one that we've got for today is that was between the Mumbai Indians and Kolkata Knight Riders. The Indians put up a great score of 195 for five. And it wasn't much of a contest thereafter as the Knight Riders struggled through to 146 for nine. So there we have the games that we're on so far this week. So we'll go on to the scoreboard, Miss Ford, and uh, bring that up. And... Like that game caught me. Yeah, I, um, I was backing Morgan <laughs> there and Andre Russell and they yeah, just didn't fire. I was happy with Narayan's performance. They, yeah, they, they absolutely. That's probably, um, I mean, Ed, when you look at that 195 for five, I think um, Narayan went for only 22 off his four overs. So, yeah, I think some bloke did go for 59, I think. Cummins. Yeah. Cummins went for plenty. <laughs> I think off his, uh, off his three overs, he went for about 39 off his three overs, I think it was, off the top of my head. What what does he get paid? Two million? Three, yeah, like three million. <laughs> three mil. So you've got a, you've got a good, uh, Kiwi uh, coaching uh, contingent in there as well, uh, what I noticed last night. Kyle Mills, uh, Brendan McCullum, um, SNC, uh, New Zealand cricket, Chris Donaldson. He's in there oh, as well. Okay. Yeah, so you've got a really good uh, Kiwi mix on that side, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know about. Um, yeah, their their bowling was a bit wayward, to be honest. Well, there we go. So we come to the table, and um, as we can see, I mean, obviously, very early stages of the tournament with only one week gone. Um, I think the Mumbai Indians will be happy that they got the win this morning because even though it's early, they wouldn't really want to be going in. Um, we're going along with two losses from two games played. Well, wouldn't, they, be the first time, wouldn't be their first time going bottom of the table after the first round of the competition to then yep. make a massive splash, well, more than a splash, and then a, actually a big play to make the finals and winning it. They're quite big. They're very slow starters on a regular basis. But you yeah, want to be I'm, there at the business end of the season, isn't it? Not, not, not at the start. You want to. I'm surprised RCB have got a win. They, they don't. They aren't very good for many wins up front or at any time, really. Yep. So we'll sort of uh, we'll see more as uh, next week. We'll see as the um, table develops. Uh, just go over the games that will be coming up uh, in this next week. We've got the Kings Eleven Punjab. Uh, will be playing the Royal Challengers Bangalore on the twenty fifth. Chennai Super Kings versus the Delhi Capitals on the 26th. Kolkata Knight Riders versus the Sunriser Hyderabad on the 27th. Rajasthan Royals playing the Kings 11 Punjab again. They'll be backing up uh, on the 28th. Royal Challengers Bangalore backing up again against the Mumbai Indians on the 29th. And the Delhi Capitals versus the Sunrisers Hyderabad on the 30th. Out of those games, anything in particular that stands out that you'll be looking forward to? Hussain, what do you reckon? I think it's it's just different conditions. I think, you know, listening to the coaches afterwards as well speak after those first few games, it's like it's different conditions for those players um, and, and getting used to them. So you've got to remember a lot of the guys coming out of CPL, especially the, the contingent out of there, they're literally six or five or six days quarantine and then they're getting used to conditions, different types of wickets as well. Um, so, so yeah, I think first few rounds will be a bit wayward. I think KKR last night got a bit of a shock as well. Um, you know, Brendan McCullum sort of saying, well, it's the first sort of game. There's a few guys that just literally came off um, straight out of the hotel and, and, and straight into the paddock sort of thing. So I think, or in the desert in the sense, I guess. But um, uh, yeah, so it's different as well. Um, no crowds, you know, little little things that, that make cricket. And Taran, you've been in a professional environment. It's sort of, 
the way I sort of put it today to someone was it's uh, it's like watching park cricket, but with really good cricketers. You know, so <laughs> it's like you know, just just random stuff happening, balls getting collected from from the crowd. You know, like no one's in the crowd, so uh, literally in the stands and just little things where. Um, yeah, I, I think as game two, game three, and the squads actually gel a little bit more, they'll get more out of it. Mm, yeah, you're right. It must be tough. Um, well, you know, it is mental awareness week this week, so it must be tough for them mentally as well, just to be. This, forget the CPL guys; it's their job. So you know, don't don't worry about their families and stuff. But still, to be cooped up in a room, having very limited amount of options that they could pursue outside of playing and training and even engaging with people. They must be quite tough. I read an article where Paddy, Paddy Upton said, basically, what I took away from it was whoever can keep their sanity over the longest is probably going to make the playoffs. So it comes down to the um, the management then, obviously, to try and, uh, I suppose, keep the minds fresh. Because uh, as you say, if you're just going to be cooped up in your room and you're going cricket room, cricket room, it is really going to be difficult, isn't it, to, for the the length of the tournament? So the management to to come up with innovative ways to keep their minds fresh is going to be crucial as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, think, don't, I don't. How would you do it, like Hussein? What What do you reckon? Like, would so they, we, we're talking about, you know, Bollywood stuff, right? actors. Yeah. So they, I mean, if you look at the inside and and watch the the clips from the teams, they've all been provided rooms. So essentially, it's not just um you know turn up stay in a hotel play cricket like cpl probably was they've actually got interactive rooms they bring the whole um india to you know um the the mm. dubai and you can get more in dubai probably as well so um yeah. uh you know team manager of um chennai super kings if you sort of follow him and, and sort of, you know, his socials and so forth, they, they're phenomenal in what they're getting, you know, in that sense as well. I think Maxwell or, or someone tweeted, uh, where do I, off uh, Finch, I think it was, or so, someone, um, where do I actually get some golf? Uh, you know, how do we get golf into our hotel? So, and the next day they put a photo up, you know, they're, they're playing interactive golf. So it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's, uh, we are in, remember they are in Dubai as well. So I guess you can bring all these things um into that into that environment i guess but mm. but in the same respect i think yeah you're right mental it, it is the mental who is fit, uh, fittest in that sense in terms of um who's going to be able to to withstand that time period there as you can tell sort of sort of like with cpl um as ashwin i think mentioned earlier show it was uh the guys that had the best camaraderie you know um at the end of the day as well so that probably helps and how do we get that get that connection as well? Um, yeah, TKR in the end were just too strong, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. They, are, they are the CSK of that campaign, though, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're like, they're the big boys. They are. They're also the bigger bigger cricketing country off the teams. They managed to convince all their homegrown players, but they printed their residents to actually want to play for them because initially they used to have. Narayan elsewhere and um, Pollard was with Barbados, so they managed to get them all back in. So, yep. yeah, which is obviously through the KKR money, which allowed yep. them to kind of bring them back into the fold. So, yeah, they'll be hard to beat at the best of times. Yeah. So, let alone add Brendan McCullum's brain into the mix. So, yeah. 
he'll, yeah. he'll Brendan McCullum will want some horse races up on TVs so that they can sort of follow. That's right. what he'll be after. It's Dubai, so they can make anything happen there. They can make yeah. it snow there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, so um, we'll we'll bring up those uh, results for those matches that I've just rattled off um, that'll be happening this week, and uh, we'll look at the next week's edition of Swinging from the Hip. We'll look at those results and the table again and see how things are starting to stack up. We might start to get a bit of an idea of where things are going, but again, how, how many – actually, my bad, how many weeks are we looking at for the IPL here? When's that actually wrap up? question my um, well, guess is second of november the second of november yeah so you've yeah that's uh we've got good sort of six five, weeks five, six weeks five six weeks six, five yes so yeah so that's uh Feb, yeah. i don't think i don't think they're playing double headers either i think just playing single day game a day yep it appears that way i mean like at the moment for the first two weeks there doesn't appear to be any double headers at all happening uh at, over the next fortnight sort of thing so um yeah Looks like it. So yeah, we'll uh, bring the bring the results as we do. We are trying to look. Actually, um, I'll take this opportunity. Uh, if there's anybody out there that would like to um, get involved with running an IPL show over the next six weeks or so, um, DM us, send us a message, and uh, we'll get together and we'll see if we can actually put a put together an IPL show for the next um, few weeks while the tournament's going. So uh, get in touch, and we'll make it happen. Anyway. Moving on to the topic for today, which is going to be, and we we our second go at it, take two, is um, how is COVID impacting community cricket and club cricket? So we've got uh, Taryn on and Hussein on, both involved with their um, respective clubs. First of all, let's let's just go over um, the clubs that you guys are from um, and where 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 they are and how they're placed in terms of uh, within the cricketing fraternity, so to speak. Hussain, you want to start off and just tell us a little bit about the club that you belong to and you work at? Yeah, so obviously uh, Parnell Cricket Club, got the shirt on today. Uh, the director of cricket. Um, club's coming off uh, the Auckland Club of the Year and hopefully the New Zealand Club of the Year. Um, Proud History is one of New Zealand. We say we're the, the oldest, but we're one of New Zealand's oldest uh, cricket clubs as well. So proud history in that in that space. Um, but everything from year ones all the way to veterans cricket or over 60s cricket played at the club as well. So, um, yeah, really good community-based okay. cricket club in Remura and Parnell area. Taryn, tell us about where well, I think people will be aware of Kimmy, but just just go over it again and um, tell us about your involvement at the club and uh, about the club Kimi a little Kimi bit. Kimi Cricket Club, Norwest of Auckland. Very uh, a small boutique, a boutique cricket club, which um, is quite a community-focused club as well, where it has been a community status club for many years and achieved principal club status a couple of years ago. The club is growing with the housing and all the developments that are happening around Kumu. So it's a year, it's a period of um, consolidation and it's ever so slowly kind of building as we can. But yeah, my role there is uh, a bit part of a role, um, a bit of a Ravindra Jadeja, I think, saying um, Mandrake got sacked for saying a bit and pieces um, thing. So I, I kind of pick up. Um, a few things with my chairman, so I'd like to say I'm too IC at the role um, from an administrative perspective all the way through to coaching and uh, playing a little bit as a keeper. 
Are you going to be playing as a keeper this year, are you? If I've played as a keeper, if they let me ball seam, that'll be it, the dream. <laughs> you just want to go in there and bowl a few short ones, don't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> My accident. Hey, look, so moving on to um, obviously the topic, as we mentioned, is um, the COVID-19's impact. And look, to, to start off with, I suppose, just is, let's let's see if it's actually affecting you both similarly. How is it affecting uh, Parnell Cricket Club with the COVID-19 and um, the restrictions we have in place, etc. Uh, what's happening? Yeah, so we're obviously, uh, I guess, Auckland Cricket Run, the 16 cricket clubs in Auckland. Um, so we're one of 16. Um, and I'm fairly new as well. So I guess, there's, as Torrin said, there's principal clubs and there's community clubs. Is that correct, Torrin? Yeah. Yep. So we are um, in that top tier, I guess. Um, but essentially, it's just putting things in place to allow cricket to happen for our members. So particularly my role is to try and engage um, and make sure that we're providing a safe environment for people to play cricket. Um, but I guess the main thing is also the unknowns of, of um, COVID as well. We're going into an unknown sort of season, um, looking at football, round ball, soccer, looking at rugby, looking at even the marathon last weekend in Rotorua. Um there's a lot of unknowns. So I guess right now it's registration period in Auckland um, or in New Zealand, but um, it's very hard to sell something um, at, when you don't know what's, what's, what's sort of what's ahead as well. Um, so I think for a young mum, a young dad um, wanting to sign their child up, it's a very tricky time because if they did play soccer or if they did play hockey or other sports, um, they may be out of pocket uh, by playing quarter of the season and, and and paying a full sub, for example, buying new cricket boots or, uh, sorry, um, rugby boots or soccer boots or new jerseys and so forth as well. And cricket's not a cheap game. So thinking it from a user point of view, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of unknowns, unfortunately. Darren, what's your uh, experience so far being at QMU? Um, oh, look, um, the registration numbers are probably slow. But when we look, when we compare it to pre other years, it's not too far up off the mark. You know, with the winter codes being pushed all the way into October to give them half a chance of having some semblance of a season, it's really, um, it's a bit of a pause period, I think, for a lot of parents, like the same just said. Like they pretty much found out a week ago that their season's completely cancelled. The case of taking stock and of what is it that they want to do. Um, yeah, um, registrations have been slow, but we are kind of putting in um, systems and comms in place to encourage parents to just register and not necessarily worry about the finances so much just yet. We, you know, we're going through having conversations around how we can um, offer refunds, credits, and make sure the parents are not out of the pocket for us as a small club, the big driver is getting people out west, northwest playing cricket. Yeah. Hopefully, I we just... can capitalize on a lot of um, inactivity from the mm. winter and a lot yep. of kids and adults will hope, you know, hope, fingers crossed that they want to get out there, do stuff, and well, they won't be traveling. So, we might have a bit of an uptake around Labor Weekend. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll just, obviously, um, with my son playing winter sports, uh, 
normally he plays rugby and uh, he normally has something like somewhere between 12 and 15 games in a season. This year, I think we might have made it to five. Um, but Hussein's point about, you know, the winter sports are a lot cheaper. Well, rugby is. Uh, I know soccer's actually quite can be quite expensive, but rugby rugby's um, a lot cheaper to play. And so when we only played five games, it wasn't really an issue. It's just like, oh, okay, it becomes a donation to the club because you want the club to, you know, not not go to the club and say, I want $30 out of my 70 So you, you do sort of uh, say, hey, it, it's okay. But I suppose with cricket, you know, you were looking at fees of $150, $170. And you sort of do, hmm, that's, uh, yeah. Are we going to get the games in and how's it going to go? But on the flip side of that, Taryn's 100% right. The kids are actually champing at the bit to get out there and play sport. They, they have, they've been sitting around over winter. They haven't played the games on the Saturday. And they, they can't wait to get involved into the Saturday morning sport. Yeah, we um we found like um, speaking to some of the staff, sports staff at uh, my school, and we noticed that the kids really just wanted to train, play, and train, and they're asking questions around bubbles and like we're all, hey, we're our bubble against their bubble, can why can't we play, etc. And we kind of what we took away from that was playing sport as they're used to playing after school on a Monday for hockey and Tuesday Thursday for football. It gave them a sense of normality. That was their continuity, and that's what they did on the regular. And they, um, it's a sense of, not necessarily a sense of belonging, but that security and the feel of things are normal by just doing what they always do. And the uncertainty kind of really threw them off, I think. They weren't quite sure. And so oh. what you're saying, like, if we get the opportunity to kind of continue to offer sport to the kids, it'll give them that continuity and they're used to doing this this is what kids in new zealand do in the summer they play cricket and normality yeah. comes back yeah, yeah. The same. Well, what have you guys been doing i mean like taryn mentioned about you know um telling parents to just register don't worry about the financial side of it um have you guys been doing anything um special or different um in terms of trying to get registrations in uh, so we're, we're very fortunate we've got an indoor centre. So essentially we are three-lane indoor centre in Shaw Road. Um, so we run winter programmes. So we've had uh, good numbers through the winter programmes that allow us to get kids to come. Um, if they are part of winter sports, then they go to their schools in the catchment area and say, you know, get involved with cricket per se. So I think we're about 80% um, year to year in terms of registration. But there's a lot of unknowns, right? So... Those parents who um, do want to register um, but don't, you know, in the same sense, are sort of hesitant in the sense that, well, we've paid already X amount of dollars for winter sports. How do we then cover that cost? Um, mm. it, it's not the cheapest sport. And in our catchment area in particular, you know, yachting, sailing, frisbee, <laughs> you know, random uh, hockey and, you know, other sports, summer touch is massive in our region. You know, they're, yep. they're, they're very popular. So, um I think if we date back 80s, 90s, early 2000s, cricket was New Zealand's favourite summer sport. I don't think it is now. I think there's multiple sports that are actually um, evolving and more people are getting involved. The cost of cricket is quite high, but the unknown factor of COVID is probably the biggest thing as well at the moment. There's a lot of fear in the community, right? Um, but in the same sense, I think, yeah, it, it all comes down to, I think, as you spoke about, Ashwin, rugby... Um, they don't really pay a full affiliation fee where cricket clubs do. There's 16, only 16 clubs um, that play in Auckland. 
and they pay an affiliation. So what percentage comes back, for example, um, when you pay a membership? Does a club, you know, are clubs going to be able to survive? Have they got contingency plans in place? It's it's sort of a scary part as well um, that hopefully everything goes smooth and we, we, you know, we look back at it and go, wow, what a season. But you only got to look in the UK. Schools are back closed again. Um, you only got to go back to when we were great and we were running and everything was smooth and then we just went back in now in our silo boxes again, <laughs> lockdown, you know. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns in that in that place, and and I, you know, and Torren will probably get their stress lines and and so forth. Is 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 um, you know, we have to plan ahead, and I think that starts from NZC and Auckland Cricket as well is is providing those resources to help and making sure um, that clubs are, are are you know they're able to stand while the communities are. Are sort of going well. Should I or shouldn't I play as well? Um, I was just going to ask the question: what, um, what, what leadership or support or um, processes, procedures are being filtered down from Auckland cricket, if anything? What's happened in the past? <laughs> so, I, I'm fairly new here, so how how does it work? I guess last season is a prime example. You know, Parnell won a two-day championship, but there was no real ruling around it, right? Yep, Howick Pakaranga, one of the top clubs, got relegated last year, um, but they did finish, you know, near the bottom. But you got to have rules and, and these things in place. Um, but learnings from I'm last more, year. More sort of really thinking, more more sort of thinking in terms of the COVID um, aspect of it. Is there anything that sort of like they've um, driven down from above in terms of what's going to be happening or changes that are going to be uh, made? They they are working on it. They it's a well. It's a, it's evolving. The whole thing, you know, they're continuing to look at their options of starting from credits and refunds for pro rider. I don't know what they, you know, the whatever um, calculations they're putting together. If the campaigns don't go through, what that means to the user and from a financial perspective, through to um, uh, how to declare winners if only a half campaign is done. Um, the club managers have been very proactive in asking some some very um, strong, tough questions. And all that's kind of a us back at Auckland Cricket to come up with a variety of contingency plans, uh, depending on how things unfold. Initially, you know, we're all hoping, oh, cool, we're back to level one, don't have to worry about it. That's always going to be plan A, but I think now the focus has turned to plan B and C. Having seen the winter counterparts completely battled their way and be demolished through, you know, this winter season. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, just going back to the winter sport experience, just um, what Hussain was sort of referring to, it's just like, as a parent, it, I suppose the frustration was the uncertainty of everything. You just didn't know um, whether you're going to be playing this weekend or not going to be playing this weekend, or you're going to have three weeks off or four weeks off. Can you plan something else? Can't you plan something else? As a parent, that is, it was, that was the frustrating part is that you, you didn't really know how things were going to unfold. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, look, I think in the bigger scheme of things, when you look at everything else that's going on, hmm. not having a little bit of sport for a period of time. It's not the end of the world. You got to, you got to look at a different view, though. Uh, cricket clubs are not built on playing on a Saturday. They're not built on playing um, to win trophies. They're built mm. on 
what is the 30 meter circle and what is inside that 30 meter circle. You put a put a big circle and you put a little circle in the 30 meter circle and why do cricket clubs exist for over hundreds of years? It's not because they were all trying to win trophies, for example. So it's, you know, you'll put in the friendships, the mateships, the beers, the, you know, the catch-ups, the, uh, you know, meeting new friends. It's all that that comes with it. So essentially, it's a crucial crucial part. They they you know in Australia we learned that they're not cricket clubs to win trophies. They're cricket clubs to become community hubs. Um, yeah, I, I think you know. You know, carry on. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just going to say you, you you sort of like um, what what COVID's showing and and something that Taryn alluded to in terms of the kids just want to play, and 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 it's not necessarily about competition. Well, it is. They want to have a game against somebody, but it's not in the sense of winning a trophy, is it? It's just that you just want to get out there and play a game um, and, and be out there with your mates. Um, and it, it's sort of interestingly enough, it goes back to some of the stuff that not, not, not just cricket, but rugby as well. Uh, I can't speak for the other sports, but because I'm only involved with cricket and rugby. But both of those sports are trying to emphasize the fun factor for children at junior level and not, not about, you know, building your black caps when they're five, it's just about getting out there and having fun and playing the game. And I, I think that COVID's sort of emphasizing, or the impact of COVID is emphasizing that. It's just getting out there and being involved. Yeah. There's an elitism, obviously, because you still have to produce the top players. And if you look at it, there's 16, 16 clubs. And, you know, I, I, I don't actually know what date Plunkett Shield, for example, starts. But the greatest thing that could happen is on Saturday, there's a cricket game happening. You know, we, I don't yeah. know if you did speak about it earlier in the in the show, but there's a, there's a game of cricket and Australia and New Zealand are playing. So I think for, for cricket in general, that's the greatest thing that can happen. Yes, it's a female game. Yes, it's in Australia. It's not in New Zealand. All those other factors. But at the end of the day, it's more cricket. Just people just want to watch cricket, right? <laughs> um, I look, you're looking at, we're looking at the positives here, right? And um, the fact is that, again, another positive out of COVID-19 is that it's going to be great for the women's game because – People are waiting for cricket. People are wanting to watch cricket. Um, and it's like the um, the White Ferns are playing the Aussie team uh, this, starting on Saturday. And people are going to watch it because they want to watch cricket and there's nothing to watch. So, you know, and it's just like, it's great because one of the problems with the women's game has been just getting eyeballs on it. Once you get eyeballs on it, they'll sort of come back. Correct. You know, the game quality is there. They'll come back. This will give it that opportunity just to get those eyeballs onto it. So, again, just another positive that comes out of um, a COVID-19 situation. That's spot on. But, uh, yeah, just looking at that leadism, I think, at the top end. And and I think the COVID's, you know, it is, yeah, the guys aren't going to play and they're going to play for the premierships and the top level and whatnot. But there's one-day teams all around Auckland that just turn up with their mates through communities or with over-60s, for example, and the reasons why. Um, that's probably where it's going to be affected a lot more when that those games don't happen. You know, there's one, we all know one guy who just loves a cricket club, right? And it doesn't matter what cricket club you're at. There's always that one guy or girl, sorry, um, that, that's part of the community and part of the fabric of that cricket club. So um, they're the ones that are going to be suffering at the end of the day or, you know, on the Saturday night when, when the teams have finished and they all come together, that's their Saturday night for the whole summer. That's what's, what cricket is about. Essentially, um, that'll be missing, but hopefully we go we go ahead. Um, but like Tyron said, yeah, I think Auckland Cricket are putting plans in place. I think you're looking at what Victoria have done. Um, they've created a lot of the of the 50 odd competitions. So we've only got the one competition, uh, 1.5 million people 
they've got five million in Victoria, but they've got about fifty plus different associations with forty plus teams, uh, clubs. Sorry, so you know you do the maths. Um, there's a lot more numbers in different associations running different rules, different you know um, protocols and everything. At the end of the day, though, they're changing their rules to comfort that, so clubs can end up playing. They're playing a lot of white ball cricket. What does that mean, though? That means you've got to buy coloured uniforms, which costs more money, you know, essentially as well. But the only reason, um, the only reason um, they did at White Ball is that they get a whole season out of it. Everyone, like you said, Taran, they'll just play like, like, like IPL. They get to play one round each. You're sort of done, yeah. you know. Uh, that innovation is probably the key at this time in any sport. Um, I'll give you a prime example. I think it was um, Rocky Khan from. Uh, Ponsonby Rugby Club talking about um, the women's competition this year for Auckland Rugby was smaller competition, but it was just compact. But they all played each other once and it was a smaller comp. They got it done. Whereas they knew that the uh, women's uh, 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 domestic competition was coming up. They need to find their best players. So how do they do that in the you know, uh, in that time period, they had to play a, a shorter tournament, but make it stronger, bring more teams together, make clubs, you know, work together and actually do that. So essentially what they found was the product was diluted. You know, you don't have to have 16 clubs. You have 10 clubs and you do it better. Um, you know, and a white ball competition might be the way to go because you do get maximum games. What, you know, here we've got top teams and lower teams. Kimi might be able to, with their new wicketkeeper, might come out and snack, you know, Parnell, for example, or Grafton, or you know, or whatnot, um, and and it makes it challenging in that sense as well, as well. Speaking speaking of um, the sort of like, I mean, I know, I know sort of like we're not uh, it, we, the elite side of it is not not just the only part of cricket, but in terms of that, I was I was hoping to get Sharuban on as being um, sort of the a, sort of a, a prem's coach or slash director of cricket there at uh, Grafton. Um, but what what's your guys seeing in terms of the the prem's and how they're managing um, to to do their training before the season kicks off and, and what what they're doing differently? Uh, I guess uh, I don't know, Taran, you want to jump in there? No, no, you go for it. You're the one with the indoor center. (laughs) (laughs) Indoor center or no indoor center. I think we've got um, a male and a female coach um, for both premier teams. And essentially the approach was um, how do we do this um, and and how do we do it better? So um, thirds and fourths coach Callum has proactively gone and said, well, we've got 10 people allowed at an indoor center. How are we going to be in a position to get 10 bubbles? So they're being proactive rather than reactive and going, oh, we can't do it. You know, so um, training in bubbles is very simple. You know, first 10 people who write their names in, you're in the first session, the next one, get out of there, make sure you sanitize and you get out and make sure you, you know, use a QR code and the next 10 comes in, for example. Um, but it's being proactive as well. I think the greatest thing, though, is out of these sessions, what we found is that Guys are getting bigger, longer hits. They're getting more bowls. You know, like their fielding's improved over that time period. So, I mean, international teams do it all the time. They train in bubbles because they don't have the outsiders. That's where net bowlers come in, for example. So it's actually making people think a little bit different, which is kind of good, right, in that sense as well. The training methods have changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Taryn, what's been happening in terms of um, getting ready for the, the senior season, the prem season at QMU? Oh look, what Hussein said—it's the—it's uh, actually just 
we worked in tents for long for a long time you know the best way to develop your skill is to actually have small group sessions professional teams that's how professional teams train in the winter you know they they train in groups of fours and sixes they then split off into snc and skill-based trainings etc um clubs like us and other other clubs that don't necessarily have the funds to hire indoor nets for an extended period of time are forced to kind of get 30 people jammed into three nets and give them all a hit and a giggle and off we go you know to kind of tick off a box but this time it hasn't been the case so we actually identified almost like a committed slash youth cricketers that we see playing a key role for the club in two to three years time and we just went we'll have these guys training and then from there on in it's actually a case of getting creative we got told it's bubbles of 10 with the lane in the middle that's got to stay empty and another venue was actually operating in bubbles of 10 per net etc so everyone's interpretation of these bubbles and how they work are different and their rules that they're presented to the users external users are different as well so we've just been complying to that there's again it's a bit like creative accounting it's how can you get creative and um, comply with the sport nz and ministry of health's guidelines and maximize your time so like our hockey turf i heard hockey turfs per quarter you can have bubbles of 10 so they can technically have 40 people on a pitch you yep. put cones down you separate them and say right you enter this way you train here we train here and they can get 40 per hour so yeah it's yeah well like i said it's allowed for us to actually focus on skills as opposed to just run nets because our numbers have been so great mm. but now that we're back to 100 people gathering so i'm sure it'll be a free-for-all down at suburbs with every single net jam packed. <laughs> But but I think I think the point to make though T is that um, it has allowed coaches to be really proactive of their approach, and I think the feedback that we've received has been pro- you know really positive in that sense as well. Longer hits and actually getting something out of a session rather than turning up, high fiving, you know, have a bat and then you're out the door sort of thing. But I think and, for coaches, you know, that that's a smart yeah. thing as well. Is that how do I actually get the best out of a player by, you know. Um, actually coming in having a set mindset you've only got an hour how do we actually get something out of this well that's exactly it right that's i think it's made people appreciate that one hour slot because they know they're actually privileged to be invited to these sessions for one Mm -hmm. there's a a whole lot of people for every 10 that you pick that there's about 40 that you're leaving out so they're lucky to be there and they're there to max they are actively maximizing their time as opposed to just fart-assing around for the 90 minutes and then cruising. I was going to say, you you hope that, uh, well, do you think that um, that that attitude will change, will flow on through going forward? I suppose it's more a case of you hope that it does, doesn't it? And the fact is that they've seen the benefits of being a bit more um, planned around, even, even with the larger group, being a bit more planned about what you're trying to achieve and your objectives while you're there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think the yeah. yeah, the biggest thing in Auckland is that there's only 16 clubs, and the principal clubs they have a coach. It's just the coach has got to be smarter, right? In this in this instance, um, all through that lockdown period, and then obviously when the nets open, we had president's grade, for example, um, training. You know, so essentially they were doing the 10 bubbles, but 
that didn't stop the you know 35 to 60 year olds turning up and doing it in bubbles as well um but now it's a free fall you have 50 you know 30 40 50 of these guys all turning up and you know they'll go back to the normality again so heading into us yeah it's just being proactive um and making those subtle changes yeah i think it's important um we don't go back and get complacent so a lot of these um protocols that cricket victoria put together and auckland cricket will release had they've already released a, a little bit but um then you add a bit of detail your own club's expectations around hygiene and social distancing if you can try and continue to maintain and, and you expect everyone kind of does a similar thing we will give ourselves a good shot at getting through a full season as well like last thing you need is one little mishap and bang that'll be the end of the cricket season as well so there is the onus like like ball maintenance where i know one team has just given every single bowler a ball and said right that's yours for the season don't ask for any more don't share with anyone what you wish to do with it's your business how much and budget then, does uh, Kumu got us? <laughs> Taz Cricket uh, sponsoring balls down at Kumu? We don't use a $179. I'm not talking about Kumu anyway, but I took one okay. new ball out and I'm there counting it. Going, you ball three. That's just use a tablecloth, pass it over to the next guy. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I mean, yeah, but what you just said there as well is is probably leadership needs to be sent from the top. So we are paying a fee or users are. So, I mean, from the DOC point of role is, is looking at a user and a member. So essentially that member needs to know that what does cricket look like in certain levels, um, for example, as well. So whereas at the moment, I, th I don't think we've been provided that. So it's kind of an unknown you're going into. But, you know, as you said, as a season progresses, I think, you know, it's not just Premier, it's it's one-day teams. What does the season look like under Level 1? What does cricket look like under Level 1? Because, you know, most parks in Auckland or every ground will have a guy and his dog walking around. But under certain levels, you can't have anyone around grounds. So I know leagues in Victoria starting in November, you can't have anyone except for the COVID officer, the scorer, and the coach. And then the oh, 11 so so ours is hundred per pitch. But where is yeah. that? There is no sport. New Zealand doesn't have any uh, guidelines around summer sport. Uh, out Auckland cricket don't have guidelines. What does it look like in levels to then, you know? No, there is, there is there is there is documentation on Sport NZ website. There is there probably isn't to the detail that you're hoping to see, but it does give you a broader overview of what it looks like. Now, here's the spanner in the works, though. I've just said, yeah, it's 100 per pitch. But we don't have pitches. We have over overlapping grounds. So for rugby, it was 100 in the winter. And that's Sport New Zealand. 100 per pitch. Yeah, it's so per pitch. pitch. So if you have two pitches side by side, you can have 200 people there. But in the same players and spectators. We but have then you said they're overlapping. overlapping. Yeah, we have a three-lane well, in. Right? Yeah, cricket's correct. overlapping, right? So... Yeah, there's a lot of those, uh, like you mentioned earlier, I think in terms of the guidelines of um, uh, indoor centres, uh, suburbs New Lynn and, and West Auckland has a five-lane centre, um, and the wording is a bubble of 10. Now, 10 people in a five-lane centre, 
that's just a waste of a whole lot of nets, right? Um, but also that loss of revenue for clubs and so forth. Whereas we have a three-lane centre, um, or Cornwall might have a three-lane centre, for example, and we can use one and three. So there's there's got to be more rulings around that. And that's, that, that means leadership as well, because it is a loss of revenue, but also the same sense it's more, less people playing the game. I think there was something that came up before, uh, Aaron, you know, guys are going to play cricket anyway. It's probably the biggest opportunist time to play cricket right now is I'm anywhere at, and everywhere, we, right? <laughs> we were down at the Nets on Saturday or Sunday last weekend, and um, there were two games of uh, cricket going on. Full, yeah. like, you know, I mean, you know, you, you know what I mean. I mean, like they, they were um, two two full teams, two games, yep. two full teams. Um, yep. Obviously, not in full whites. No, you know, and it's casual. It's a casual game, but yep. like, yeah, two games going on. Yeah, the guys are going to get out there and play, aren't they? Ah, oh, that's right. So, I mean, that's the thing is that we're creating this inclusive environment by putting all these things in place. People just want to get out and play cricket. So, um, yeah, hopefully these yeah. guidelines will bring a little bit more clarity, though, um, for people who want to sign up. Like I said, there's a lot of social teams, for example, at, at, at Parnell that haven't signed up this year. I think what you're going to get, I think what you might see is a raft of injuries up front because they're ill-equipped, they haven't trained enough, and they're gonna, they haven't loaded strong enough. And we saw coming out of the first lockdown, the fields weren't ready. They were soft underfoot. Kids hadn't trained for an extended period of time, and there was a lot of injuries coming through. And I think we might see a lot of that. You know, to start with, then my concerns are, and I'm not sure if you've seen this in, Parnell, but um, some of our kids were training on school campus and there's um, people walking past, um, old elderly couples and people walking past on the evening walks, commenting from the outside going, hey, you shouldn't be out there playing, you, you're not allowed, we're still in level two. And so people don't necessarily understand what you can and can't do. And you're going to get a lot of tension between groups as well. So you're going to start having people walking past going, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You're too close to him. The first and second slip don't have two meters between them. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a, you're gonna, I think you're going to start getting all these things that start adding you're on. You're going to run past the umpire every ball. <laughs> well, I think that's the case in Australia. You have to hand, it over, hand the ball over every over. Drop the oh, ball, yeah, yeah, at the stumps. Literally drop the ball at the stumps and then one carrier takes it and puts it at the next stump. And, um, yeah, there's a whole lot of rules. But, see, those things got to come and play if if um, if we want to go ahead as well. It depends on what levels. But I think, I think the first thing you said, Torin, there is that, you know, people are undercooked, for example, um, prior to a season. That comes into proactive coaching as well, right? So, essentially, is your coaches actually making sure that the players are – uh, ready to play, for example. Um, you wouldn't send an all-black out there and, and play a full rugby game if you know that he's going to be undercooked. Um, so essentially, that's a professional game compared to an amateur who's working a nine-to-five job five days a week. And, yeah. I mean, coaches are fine for the first team, but what about the one-day grades that haven't had the chance to get into the indoor nets because they've just not been available? They're going to start in four weeks' time. Yeah. And they don't uh, want to hold back. Those guys do not know how to hold back. I think that's the one those guys playing in suburbs last week. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that game we saw at uh, Keith, the, those games we saw going on at Keith A Park, didn't, Keith a. Uh, the, although the fielding wasn't great, they weren't really holding back in terms of running into the crease when they're bowling. No, no. And they, yeah, yeah. And that's the, that's the good part of Keith A Park, isn't it? You're, anytime you go past, that place is going to be full. Full yeah. of cricket in terms but of. I, I think that's keeping cricket alive. I think there's probably one thing, though, Ashwin and T, I think, you know, it is essentially it, it creates more opportunities to to get more physical activity. So p- more people may not play club cricket, but they'll play social cricket. So it's an opportunist time to look at those things. Um, Auckland Business House looks like- League, you know, or uh, Last Man Stands. There may be more people playing those games because people don't have time. They've lost their job. It's not a, It's not a cheap sport to play. You know, so you're paying, if you're playing premier senior cricket, it's 400, near 400 bucks. Then you're buying bat. Then you're buying, you know, all these things that, that are cost. Every Saturday, you're spending eight hours. So you're, you know, you're buying a drink, a pie, and, you know, everything else that comes with it. So it, it, it's it's a very expensive sport to play, whereas I think, you know, there's opportunities for clubs to become uh, smarter, you know, all in different areas. I mean, Cumu is a, is a growing area. Um essentially, and you've got a large South Asian base that want to just play cricket. So how do you actually provide for those people to just play cricket as well? And and we go back to the first thing we spoke about is that community. So what is a sense of community and how can you actually provide that as well? Um, seldomly in cricket, we just offer, this is prem men's, this is reserves, this is the president's grade, this is, you know, whereas I think what Kumu have done and Eden Roscoe and other Papatoes and so forth, They've actually looked outside the box and gone, what do you actually want? You want to play T20s on a Sunday? Yep, come and play this. Mm. Well, I suppose that's um, a good place to sort of leave it with a question there in terms of um, what's going to be coming in the future. And uh, maybe we can sort of have a look at the end of the season and see um, how the season's unfolded, what developments, what what, um, innovations came out of it because of the changed environments and that. So um, I think that's uh, it's great that we've got a topic for the future to sort of look at how things did actually develop. And uh, just like to thank you guys for actually coming on the show tonight. Um, obviously, we, we got there in the end, yes. <laughs> and um, it was great. And it was like, yeah, good insights in terms of um, how COVID's Im- impacting or the not necessarily impacting, actually bringing benefits or actually highlighting issues as well or developments that we need to make. So thanks again for coming on the show. And um, to all our viewers and um, listeners out there, thank you also for tuning in again to Swinging from the Hip. And uh, we look forward to having you again next week. Remember, right here on New Zealand Sport Radio, We've got the morning sports briefing every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, that's right around the week. And then on Monday nights, we have the Driving More show. Tuesday nights, we have a basketball show. Wednesday nights, we have uh, the Rugby League show. And Thursday night, the best night of the week with the Swinging from the Hip with our cricket show. And then Fridays and Sundays, a preview and review show for rugby over the weekend. But as, as we said, really appreciate the fact that you tune in. Make sure that you hit that share button. Um, it's great that you hit the like, but the share is better. Uh, it gets our it gets our name out there more. And we'll see you again next Thursday at 8 p.m. for more cricket with swinging from the hip. Thank you. Hold up. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.